Hello, everybody. Thanks for uh, letting me talk with you this weekend. Like Tony said, my name is Jeff, and uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you. If I haven't seen you in a while, I'd love to catch up with you, and uh, it's a blast to be out here with you guys this weekend. Uh, like Tony said, there's five, uh, there's seven campuses of Grace Church. There's five here in the Akron area, and uh, there's two down in the greater Atlanta area, and uh, we're thrilled of what God is doing here at the Medina East campus. So grateful for you guys, proud of you, uh, so grateful for kind of joining in uh, the vision and the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ uh, to proclaim the gospel and to teach the good news uh, wherever we have the availability to do it. So thanks for being a part of that, thanks for being a part of Grace, and uh, thanks for your investment and your hard work of reaching the people here in, uh, in Medina County. Uh, I'm excited, uh, you, you know, of our, of our campuses. Our big goal is to start 30 uh, different campuses in 30 years. So you may or may not know that we're preparing to start our eighth campus. Uh, so right now, uh, Norton, our Norton campus, is getting ready to launch uh, a new campus, hopefully at the end of this year, in Seville. Ohio, and that will be our eighth campus. If you don't know where Seville is, uh, think of Lodi and Creston, and then kind of get lost, and Seville's in there somewhere. Uh, just kind of wander around, and you'll run into Seville. But uh, God opened up a, a unique opportunity for us to be there, and uh, after praying about it and fasting about it, the elders and I decided that we should move on that. And so the Norton campus is going to take the lead on that one, and uh, we're excited about that. So prayerfully, by the end of 2017, or maybe the beginning of 18. Uh, we'll be at eight campuses and continue to uh, walk through those doors as God opens them. But thank you for all that you do. Uh, proud of you guys, proud of Tony and Jess and Seth and the gang, and, and uh, thrilled about what God is doing here at Medina. It's, it's fun to be a part of it. Well, we're in a series right now, and I'm just going to kind of jump in on it, uh, called The Everyday Revolution, and we're talking about just how God uh, kind of lays things out and asking this question, uh, does God have a kind of a way that he wants us to function? It's this idea, does God have an idea for our everyday relationships instead of just looking at cultural norms, instead of just looking at kind of the way that we were raised or the way that everybody else does it? Are, are we all supposed to be individuals? Is every like culture supposed to figure it out for themselves? Or did our creator God uh, put down some ideas, some household codes we call them, some ideas of how our relationships would work? And if we looked at those ideas and took those in as truth and started to interact with people, uh, with each other that way, how would that revolutionize our everyday life and revolutionize the way that we serve God and interact with God and then serve and interact with each other. And so we've been in this conversation here for a few weeks, and this weekend, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on a conversation talking about how do younger generations interact with older generations. Now, last weekend, Pastor Tony kind of started this conversation, and he talked about kind of the older side of it and said, as, a, as an older generation, how do you interact with the younger generation? And this is what he he drew out, he said this, he said, each generation is responsible for the generation behind them. So as an older generation, I take some ownership of that younger generation. Uh, then he said, older generations have to be patient and persistent with the generations behind them. It's not patronizing, it's not just do what you're told kind of a thing, but I'm teaching, I'm training, we would say discipling, right? Helping them to know the heart and mind of God and to follow that. And then he said as an older generation that we're, set, we're to set the example in our, in our speech and in our conduct. This is how you do it. And you can mimic these things in 
us. And so it's a fascinating conversation to say, well, as an older generation, this is what I'm called to do. How do I pass these truths down to the younger generation? Now, who is the younger generation? Well, youth is in the head, right? Youth is in the head. So you may think of yourself as young or you may think of yourself as old and that usually is directly connected to what relationship you're talking about, right? So I'm in the middle of life. People say the prime of life, but that's not true because things quit working at this age of my life. And so my shoulder doesn't work anymore. My knee doesn't work anymore. So I I hesitate to say prime, but I'm in the middle of life. So it's fascinating. To some people, for instance, I am the older generation, my children and other people, a lot of my staff. For me, though, I also look at an older generation. So I look at men and women in their 60s, 70s, 80s that I love, respect, follow, still seek counsel from. So are you the younger generation or not? Well, it kind of depends on how you think, and it depends a lot on what relationship you're in. So probably for most of us, when we think about how do I as a younger person interact with an older person, that probably applies to most of us, but then we have other relationships where we're the older person as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through kind of all of this. You kind of have to fill in your own blanks and apply it uh, as, as is appropriate, but I want to walk you through this idea of how does a younger person receive the wisdom, the leadership, the, 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 the discipleship of an older person. And then I wanna, I'm going to walk you through that, kind of show you how to do that. And then I want to land on kind of a place of vision for you about how God can use that in your life in a powerful way, okay? So if you have a Bible, grab it and open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs, and you can uh, use those. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, please just take that one with you. We want you to uh, have that as a gift, and it's page 830 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. And what I want you to do is put a piece of paper or your finger kind of in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to walk you through a grid of thinking, and then we're going to kind of land and dissect a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 4, okay? So I want to teach you a little acronym that if you can get this in your head, it's going to help you a lot. Now, this is an incredibly cheesy acronym, okay? So you're going to remember it because it's so cheesy, but if you want to use it on Twitter or you want to get a tattoo or something like that, like it's probably worth it, okay? But I want you to get this idea in your head. As, as a younger person looking to be used by God and to receive the wisdom and leadership of older people and really the wisdom and leadership of Christ himself. What do I need to be doing? How do I need to position myself? I need to look and say that I want to become a fatter person, okay? I want to become a fatter person. You're going to remember that because you're going to be a fatter person. When you get on the scale tonight, you're like, ooh, I really did become a fatter person, okay? So I want to be a fatter person, It's how I would organize and position my life so that I can receive leadership and interact with it and and be used by God, receive leadership even from God, okay? So we want to become a fatter person. Now, before I get you into fatter, let me show you this. When we think about the generations today and we think about our culture, here's kind of the deal in our culture. Our culture does not respect 
wisdom and does not respect age, right? It's just the way it is. It's not a big knock. I mean, we can just agree with that, right? So most of the time, when we think about somebody older than us, we think about them uh, in a negative way a lot of times. A lot of times we think, well, they're, they're oppressing us or holding us down. If you get out into media, usually the older person's like the joke, okay? And so we have to start by thinking, how, what does God say about age and what does God say about me as a younger person interacting with someone who is older than I am and wiser than I am? And the Bible actually would, would take kind of our cultural idea of age and cut against that grain pretty strongly. So the Bible would say things like this, Leviticus 19, you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. It's fascinating. You don't see a lot of that nowadays where you rise up before the great headed and honor the age. It tends to be like, well, you're old, you're out of it, you don't even know what Snapchat is. Like, that tends to be how we think, right? But we don't honor them, respect them. It's just not the way that we're wired right now as a culture. In some ways, it's no big deal. It just kind of is, but it's the way that we're wired. Here's another idea, Proverbs 23. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Right? It's a big deal. I told my teenager just today, I begot you. Like, you better knock it off. I, I begot you, right? He didn't know what that meant. But like, so listen, so the one who birthed you or conceived you, and don't despise your mother when she's old. I don't, I'm not, the Bible would say, I don't roll my eyes at my mom and dad. I don't think they're dumb and old and you don't know. No, no, I, I dial into their wisdom and their leadership. Proverbs 16, a gray head is a crown of glory, and, and uh, is found in the way of the righteous. It's this idea in the scripture that instead of despising the old or mocking the old or rebelling against the old, we actually honor them and receive the wisdom they have for us. If that older person loves Jesus and loves you, they are to be an agent of bringing truth into our lives and we are to receive those things, right? It, 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 it's the idea of how we would interact in that everyday relationship. Okay, now, how do I do these kind of things? How do I receive that wisdom, and how do I position myself to receive it? And this is the idea of being fatter. So with being fatter, what I want to be is faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive. I want to be a fatter person. A fatter person honors people who are older than they are. A fatter person honors the authority of Christ in our life. A fatter person receives truth and wisdom from God's word. A fatter person, right, is, is a person who can be led and who is able to lead as well. And as I think of myself as a young person, and I want to be respected and I want to lead, but I also am responsible to receive the wisdom coming from the generation above me, I want to position myself as a fatter person, a faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive person. And that will position my heart, that will position my mind, that will position my actions so that I can be used by God and trusted by those around me, okay? So let's dig into this a little bit, and then we'll land at 1 Timothy chapter 4, okay? What does it mean to be fatter? And let's kind of break this apart piece by piece. So the first thing I want to do in order to position myself this way, is I want to learn to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to Christ. I want to be faithful to the word of God. I want to be faithful to the people that God has put into my life. I want to become a faithful 
person. A great example of this is in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church and he writes about faithfulness. He says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, right? You're faithful. You always obey. You don't obey sometimes. You don't obey when you feel like it. You don't obey when 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 it's convenient for you. You always obey. It is what you're known for. It's your character. You're faithful, right? As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, right? You're a person of integrity. When nobody's looking at you, you're still desiring, wanting, working toward responding to the to the, the the directives of scripture if you're a kid when nobody's looking at you you're still listening honoring your mother and father's wishes if you're a student when nobody's looking at you when the prof's not in the room you're still trying to do the work the right way right you're you're faithful and not only in my absence or not only in my presence much more in my absence and then I'm faithful I continue Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without finding fault, warped and, and, uh, without finding fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Listen, younger people, listen to me. Okay? If you want to be respected, if you want to be trusted, if, if, if you want people to look at you and give value and weight, faithfulness, right? I'm always obeying. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a person of integrity. I do this whether I'm getting credit for it or not. And when I do that and I, I listen to God and I listen to the people that God has placed into my life, what happens is, I love this, you will become blameless and pure, you children of God without finding fault in a warped and crooked generation. You want to stick out like a sore thumb in a generation that, is, that ignores the things of God. You want to stick out like a, a sore thumb as a teenager where everybody respect, expects you to rebel and have an attitude. You want to stick out like a sore thumb when you go to college and everybody just assumes you're going to be wasted your whole freshman year and in bed with someone somewhere at some time. You want to be the guy at work that's respected by the boss. You're not arguing and grumbling and complaining. You want to stick out like a sore thumb. Practice this idea of faithfulness. And as a follower of Christ, faithfulness is huge. Faithfulness as a follower of Christ is just this idea that I actually live and do what I say I believe. That's it. I live and I do what I say I believe. And when people live and do what they say they believe, guess what? They're respected. You guys ever hear that joke of uh, how do you know somebody's a vegan or a CrossFitter? They'll tell you, right? You ever hear that joke? So, so, they're going to tell you it's going to come out of them. So my wife, Heidi, is a, is a CrossFitter. She's actually a, a world-class athlete. She's number 36 in the world in, in the, the, the CrossFit competitions out of many thousands of people in her age range, right? Now, I look at Heidi, who's into CrossFit. She's a CrossFitter, right? What do I see? I see her living what she says she believes about CrossFit. I see her get up at 4.30 every morning and go to the gym six days a week. I see her discipline while I'm pounding Twinkies, like she's like eating protein, right? 
I, I, I see her training. I see her work. I see her doing what she says she believes. So when you look at her and when you interact with her, when she talks about CrossFit, you don't roll your eyes. You actually listen to what she says. Now, I also CrossFit. Every third month, I go to the gym at least once. Right, at least once. When I talk about CrossFit and I tell you how you should CrossFit and what you need to do get in shape, you roll your eyes at me, right? You're like, first of all, you're pudgy. Secondly, that's your fourth Twinkie, right? You, you don't, you're not going to listen. Why? Because I'm not faithful to it. See how that works? When you proclaim Christ and you're not always obeying, when you proclaim Christ and, and, and you are one person at church or one person in front of a certain set of friends and another person in the dorm, another person on the team, another person at work. Nobody's going to trust you or believe you or follow you because you're not faithful. See how it works? We need to be fatter. And the first piece of that is I want to be faithful. I want to do, simply do what I say I believe. When I'm not faithful, it actually exposes my lack of faith in the Lord. That's what it is. When I say I believe that God is the center of my life, that the word of God is the, the uncompromised truth, that it should govern everything, but that doesn't show up in me, right? It actually exposes that. I don't, I don't actually believe those things. I just say them. Faithful people trust. Faithful people receive. What, what, all that teaching about how the older generation interacts with the younger generation, as a younger generation, I receive that. I give honor to the gray head. I honor my father, my, all that kind of stuff. That's all tied to faithfulness. Here's the second one. I want to be faithful, and then secondly, I want to be available. I want to be available. The, the example I, I think of when I think of being available is, is David. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, it's in uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you want to read it later on, it's kind of a long story. But if you know that story a little bit, right, Goliath is this enemy of Israel, these Philistines and the Israelites, Goliath, Goliath is literally kind of a, a giant. He's coming out and he's saying, hey, instead of us fighting, how about somebody take me on one-on-one? -on -one? And if I win, you're our slaves. If you win, we're your slaves. So he'd come out every day and he'd be like, fee fi fo fum, somebody fight me, right? Well, nobody would. Everybody cowered. The, the famous story of David and Goliath, David goes, says, who are you to dishonor God? Goes and get five smooth stones, only needed one threw one, hit him in the head, knocked him out, and then decapitated him and, and won the battle, right, and set the Israelites free. That's the famous story of David and Goliath. If you're familiar with that story, anybody know why David was even there? David's just a teenager, just a kid. The only reason he was there is because his older brothers were drafted into the army. They're all there afraid to fight Goliath. The only reason David was there is because his dad told him to take his brother's lunch. That's it. He didn't go to fight a giant. He didn't go to free a nation. He didn't go to make the Bible. He didn't go to be every coach's speech, right? Why did he go? He just was doing what his dad said. How did he wind up fighting Goliath? He just said yes to God. I'm here. There's a need. Nobody else seems to have a backbone or actually believe what God says. I'll do it. He was available. And God did an incredible thing through him. Listen, this is, this is what availability is. All availability is, is, is this. Availability 
is simply a predetermined yes. That's all it is. A predetermined yes to God. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be respected, if you want people to follow you, it's a predetermined yes. God, the answer is yes. Go ahead and ask me the question. God, the answer is yes. Go ahead and ask me the question. I was doing an um, a interview the other day for a magazine, which sounds like a bigger deal than it is, but uh, I was talking to this guy for a business magazine, and he wanted to know why our church is so big. Grace Church is one of the top uh, 100 fastest growing churches in North America. So all these people have been calling, bugging me about it. And so he wanted to know why our church was so big. And he's like, what have you guys discovered? I'm like, I don't nothing. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing differently? I'm like, I don't know, nothing. I, we, we don't wear socks. You know, I, I, I don't know. We're not really doing anything. He's like, did you come up with a new system? He, I said, I don't really know. He, he, he kind of almost got exasperated. He said, Jeff, he goes, he goes there's got to be like this secret formula that you're doing this and all these other churches are dying and closing. And I said, listen, I said, the only thing I know to tell you is this. I said, the secret sauce of Grace Church, as I can figure it out, is her people's willingness to sacrifice. That in the people of Grace Church, there's a predetermined yes. The answer is yes, God. Go ahead and tell us what you want done. Right? Answers yes. Where do you want us to go? Atlanta. All right. Answers yes. Where do you want us? Sterling. Really? The answer is yes. Where do you want us? Medina East, of all the places, right? And, and when I look back over the history of Grace Church, that's what I see. I see her people's willingness. It's not great pastors or creative programs. It's really not. We're not doing anything that fancy. It, it's the people's willingness to sacrifice. The answer is yes, God, you go ahead and tell me what to do. That's an available person. That was David. Answer's yes. What am I doing? Fight a, fight a giant. All right. Now listen, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be respected, if you want to, the answer is yes to God. And by the way, teenagers, you want your parents to back off? The answer is yes. Don't argue with them. You, you want your coach? The answer is yes. Right? The answer is yes. Instead of rearing up and distrusting and I don't like you and I want my own agenda available, you need it, it's done. Right? So I want to be fatter, faithful, available. Here's the third one, teachable, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. I love this passage, 1 Peter chapter 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? So we have a directive right here, right? And we're obeying scripture above all else, not just our cultural norms, obeying scripture above all else. So younger men, younger people, boom, we got a directive, right? You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Big deal. My boss, my dad, my, my mom, uh, the elders of the church, the, 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 the spiritual elders of the church, you who are younger, you're subject to those who are older. You let them lead you. And then I love what he goes. He goes, and all of you, young, old, all of you, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Huge. Being teachable is simply that. Being teachable is being humble and allowing other people to speak into my life and allowing Christ to have authority in my life. In fact, James, the Apostle James says that. He says you should humbly submit to the word of God planted in you. 
I'm submitting to God. I'm submitting to the, the, the people, the leaders that God has placed under me, and I'm being teachable. I'm allowing them to mold me and to shape me, and I'm receiving that with humility. Um, he, here's, the, here's the deal. The fact of youth is this. If you think of yourself as young, it, here's the deal, okay? Here, it's just the reality of it. The younger you are, the less likely it is that you have walked on the path that you're on, right? So the younger you are, the less likely it is that you're, you've walked on the path that you are. If you're a young parent, you have not raised as many kids as older parents have or as far. If you are young in your career, you don't know as much about your career. As you. If you are young in your education, you don't know as much about your education as your teacher does. If you are, whatever it is, the younger you are, the less you have gone down that path, right? Teachability, all that is, is admitting that and allowing other people who have gone down that path to invest into your life. So my wife Heidi and I have six children. And, uh, and here's my family. And so we have six children. And right now we have five teenagers in our house. Five of our six kids are, are teenagers, okay? Now, now here's the deal. I have never raised teenagers before. I've taught other people how to raise teenagers. And I'm highly editing my notes as we go through it, right? And so it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Teenagers, you're tricky people. I just want you to know that half the time your parents love you and the other half they kind of want to murder you, right? And so it's just kind of the, the, the way that it, that it works. And so we'll have these situations in my home where we'll have, a, we'll have an episode with one of our teenagers, right? And, and we'll go back and forth and their independence and my protection and all this kind of stuff. And I'll make a decision, and say, well, this is the way it is, and it's the way that it's going to be. And one of my kids will look at me like I have no idea what I'm doing when I make that decision. And when they look at me like I have no idea what I'm doing, you know what? They are absolutely correct about that, right? And I think, yeah, that decision, that price set you up for three years of counseling. I mean, I probably just messed you up somehow. But they're right. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done it before that does not make me dumb that does not make me inadequate that that does not make me incapable that just makes me young you know who I call a lot my father-in-law he's 70 he's raised teenagers he knows a thing or two and he did it differently than I do it right I, I have to do it with the internet he didn't all those kind of things but he's got some wisdom that if I would humble myself and receive from him it would help me immensely, and it would help me lead those who are following me. Make sense? Teachability. That's it. Humility. And we both clothe ourselves in it. We crave humility from each other. Right? So older generation, you know what the younger generation often craves from you? Humility. You don't know how to use technology like they do. Right? It, it's fine. The world changes. Learn something from them. And younger generation, you know what the older you know what, what the older generation craves from you? Humility. You don't know much as much about life as they do. It's no big deal. Learn. Take the easy way and learn a thing or two. And when we clothe ourselves in humility, when we're teachable with each other, God creates a powerful dynamic through it. Okay? So we're faithful, available, teachable. And then we're enthusiastic. 
were enthusiastic. Now, here's the idea with being enthusiastic. It's this idea. So younger folks, wherever you're at, if you consider yourself younger, you're younger in a relationship. Here it is. When a younger, when an older leader looks at you as a younger person, okay, when an older leader that loves you and loves Jesus gives you an opportunity, see that as a possible invitation from the Lord. Did you catch that? When an older leader who loves Jesus and loves you, right, they have to be credible. When an older leader who loves Jesus and loves you presents you with an opportunity, see that as a possibility from the Lord, okay? This is what happens a lot of times. One of the struggles of youth is that we tend to see leadership as prohibitive instead of transformative. When, when, this is our culture. When we look at leadership, well, my teacher is making me. My boss won't let me. My parents don't trust me. We tend to, in our culture, it's just the way we're raised, we, we look and we kind of automatically look at leadership as prohibitive, Instead of transformative, my teacher is shaping me. My boss is preparing me. My parents are equipping me. See how that works? And if I can look and enthusiastically look at an opportunity that the older generation presents to me as a possible invitation from the Lord and enthusiastically embrace that, it could transform us. This same... uh, interview I was doing, the guy looked, uh, said to me on the phone, he, he goes, uh, he goes, it's a business, it was a business magazine, and he said, he goes, could you describe your career path? I'm like, I, I don't have a career path, really. He's like, well, he goes, tell me about all of your different jobs. I was like, I, have, I got one job out of college. I've had the same job for 24 years. I don't think I could get another job, right? And, and he goes, well, how did you advance? And, how do you, and I, I, look, I finally said to him, I said, listen, I said, all I did was when, when my elder, Pastor Bob Combs, invited me to do something, I just said yes. That's the secret of my success, right? I just said yes. You want to be our youth pastor? Yeah. You want to run this thing called a judgment house? Yeah, I'll do that. You want to start the bath campus? All right. You want to take over the church? Okay. Yeah, that's kind of the way it worked. It was that simple. There's no and 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 I I I looked and said, He Pastor Bob loves Jesus. He loves me. He invited me to do something. I wonder if that's God talking to me. Now, all of that is in our perspective of things. I want to show you this verse, great verse, it, it, tied to this idea. Here it is, ready? Second Corinthians 10, 5. Uh, we demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ, okay? In this context, what would set itself up against the knowledge of God? When I view those in authority over me as prohibitive, Pastor Bob's holding me down. If I didn't have to work for Pastor Bob, I could have been a senior pastor. I worked for him for 14 years. I'm not the boss yet. See? Instead of looking and saying, well, God has placed an elder over me, an authority over me. I, I know he loves Jesus. I know he loves me. He's legit. So God is using him to shape. When I look and say, well, my parents are dumb, I've actually just set myself up against the knowledge of God because the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, honor them. 
old people are so out of work. Well, wait a minute, I just worked against what the Bible says, the knowledge of God. So when I'm tempted to think that way, I take that thought captive and I bring it, I bring it under the authority of Christ. What does the scripture actually say about my boss when I'm the servant? What's the scripture actually say about my teacher who holds authority over me at this phase of my life? And I capture that, push out the norms, and line up with Christ. Make sense? Faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic. And the last one is responsive. Responsive. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, great passage. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Guys, this is huge. Uh, it, this, is the, this is simply the phrase, I'll do it. I'll do it, right? Uh, we need volunteers to work with the teenagers. I'll do it. I respond. Need more help with that Bible camp. It's going to be huge. I'll do it. We, 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 we're sending people to Africa to be missionaries. I'll do it. See how that works? See? We're going to start another campus in Medina. We'll do, I'll do it. See, somebody has to go. Somebody has to respond. And guys, listen, for younger people, the ability for you to respond with your strength with your zeal, with your fearlessness, with your health, with all those things. I'll do it. See how it works? And when you're responsive and, and, and you look and say, I'm a part of the body of Christ, I will be a part of building the kingdom of God, I'll be more caught up in what God's doing and less caught up in my individualism and in my own dreams, God will take a fatter person and do powerful and dynamic things through you. Now, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to show you this, how this plays out, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, older, writing to Timothy, who's younger, his protege, and he kind of gives him this instruction. I want, to see, I want you to see how God can use this fatter mindset in your life, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 4, what's Paul say? He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're, you are young. Let's just pause there, okay? Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Huge, important statement. Young person, look at me. I want you to catch this, okay? If there's an older person in your life who looks at you and says, you're young, you're dumb, and in, until you get all this, you got to get through college, you got to get through seminary, you got to get a PhD, and until you do that, you, God can't use you you need to ignore that person. That's what Paul's saying. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. If someone, this is what was happening, the older people were looking and saying, well, wait a minute, you're not a Pharisee, you're not a Sadducee, you, you don't know all these things, you're just young, you don't know. There are traditions to be kept. There is safety to be had. There, there is pa you know, passivity to be engaged in. You're so zealous. You want to go change the world. You're, you're only 20 years old. What are you going to Ignore that person. They're sinning against you. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. That's not the point. If somebody looks at you and says you're not fatter, you need to dial in. 
But if they look at you and say, well, you're only 18, ignore them. That person is not acting in a godly way. Don't let anybody look down at you you're young. Because this is what happens. In your youth, in what youth have that older people don't is zeal and strength. That's what the Bible says. The strength of a young man is his glory. They have zeal and they have strength. Okay? When you take zeal and strength and you marry it with wisdom and experience, you have a powerful combination. When, when, uh, when we started Grace Church, Heidi and I, I was 28 years old. I had zeal and I had strength. I could work like a dog. 80 hours was like an off week for me. And I was going to seminary and getting my doctorate and raising kids all at the same time. I used to start studying at 1 o'clock in the morning because the kids were down. And I'd read these massive books with these 93-syllable words in them. And it was just crazy. When I get up, I could get out like the funny pages at 1 o'clock in the morning right now. I'm not joking. I can't see the words. Like they move on the page. I have lost my strength, Right? I am not as young as I used to be. I don't have the strength. You do. You have the strength to go hard. You have the strength to go into the night. You have the strength to do the work. You have the strength to carry the physical loads of ministry. And you have zeal. No, it it doesn't cross your mind why that can't be done. That is not a sin. That is a gift from God. Why can't we do that? Why can't we go in Africa? Why, why can't we start another campus? Who, I love it. No one should look down on you because you're that way. Now, you have to be fatter because what you're not is wise and experienced. I am. Right? Because I'm old now. So I know, take your zeal, well, let's, let's point that a certain way. Let's aim that. Well, why can't we? Well, we I, let me tell you these 15 things of why that's not the best way to approach it, but you tell me 15 new ideas about a new way to approach it. And when you marry zeal with wisdom, you get a dynamic that God interacts with in a powerful way. So don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, right? Not because of your age. If you're fatter, your age doesn't matter, okay? And godly older people will embrace that. You're fatter, so you're letting them shape it. And God starts to create a a dynamic. So Paul says, Timothy, don't anybody look down on you because you're young. Instead, do something the exact opposite, but set an example for the believer in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In other words, be fatter, I'm going to set the pace. I'm faithful, I'm available, I'm teachable, I'm enthusiastic, I'm responsive. I'm going to take the strength of my youth and the zeal of my youth and the fearlessness of my youth and I'm going to faithfully live that out. I'm going to live what I say that I believe and do it radically. You will stick at, I dare you, I double dog dare you to go to your freshman year of college and live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I triple dog dare you to go to high school and live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I quadruple dog dare you to get your first job and live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. 
You have the strength and you have the zeal. You have the freedom to do it. That's what Paul's saying. Don't, not because of your age. In fact, do the opposite. Because when young people live faithfully, you know what it does? It re-energizes old people. That's what happens. You're an asset to the church. Because we look at you and we're like, oh, man, all right, I'll join you. Same thing happens at CrossFit, and then you hurt yourself. Right, so it's, it's how it works, okay? So you lead the way, and what happens is because older people see you being fatter, they'll start to join you, and it brings energizing to the church. You know 11 of the 13 major historical revivals were led by teenagers? Did you know that? Most of your Bible heroes are teenagers, David, Joseph, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Goes on and on and on. Most of the apostles, disciples. Okay. So set the example. And then he goes on, he says this. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to the preaching and to teaching. This is huge. Until I come, devote yourself to what? The Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Now, listen, young folks, this is huge. Here's the thing. As a young person, you're going to devote yourself to something. And most young people, it's just the way it is. Don't take it as a knock. I'm just talking reality. Most young people devote themselves to their friends and their independence. And if you look at them and say, what defines you right now? My friendships and my desire to be independent. Okay? Now, I want to say something to you. In that, what happens is many, many young people will build relationships that are very um, influential in their lives, and they'll do crazy things. Mom can't stop me. I'm 18. I can skydive now. I can get a tattoo that I will get removed at 31. Right? So I, I got it. Here's what I say to you. I encourage you as a young person to do crazy stuff. God created you that way. Do crazy stuff. Do it for the Lord. I encourage you to go all in with your friends. Build a community that, that you lead. I, I, I sent my, one of my sons on a missions trip today, and as I was hugging him goodbye, I whispered in his ears, and I said to him, I say it to my boys all the time, you lead your buddies, they don't lead you. Oh, got it, Dad. You lead your friends. They don't lead you. And you lead them to what? The scriptures, to Christ, to the gospel. Do crazy things. You ought to do insane things. Just do it for Christ. Two years ago, I took my 17-year-old son to Chad, Africa with me, poorest country on the earth and, and one of the most violent. And we're in the middle of the night, we're driving through the desert. We got stopped by these guys. They search our car. We're, literally, we're standing in the road like this. He's beside me, and we're being frisked aggressively by men with AK-47s. The butt of the rifle kept hitting me in the chin as he was, as he was frisking me. I stood there. I looked at my 17-year-old son, and I said, let's not tell mom about this. You want to risk your life? Don't jump out of an airplane. That's stupid. I'll come with me. I'll take you to places. Places that are dangerous. I got a buddy right now that's building churches in Iraq. You want to do something nuts? Do that. It's crazy. 
You want to wake up on a Saturday morning and puke your brains out? You don't got to get drunk on Friday night. Go to Haiti, drink the water. You'll throw up for a week. <laughs> Do it all the time. It's part of the trip. Do radical things for Christ. You have the zeal, you have the strength. Devote yourself to it. Don't throw that away. He goes on, right? Nobody's looking down on you. You're setting the example. Devote yourself. And then look what he says in verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy, when, when, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Listen, young person. I don't, I don't care if you're a young 50 or a young 15. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have spiritual gifts, at least one, maybe more. And what Paul just said to Timothy was this. Timothy, you activate that gift. Utilize it for the Lord. Listen, let me tell you at Grace Church, your youth has nothing to do with your ability to do ministry for Christ. The elders of this church will never stop you from doing that. In fact, will encourage you, equip you, empower you, enable you to do it. Right now, at the Bath campus, 3,000 people will be in and out of there that weekend. Worship's being led by an 18-year-old. Right now at the Barberton campus, uh, this, the messages are being preached by a 21-year-old. Right now at one of our Atlanta, uh, Atlanta campuses, the worship's being led by a 20-year-old. The doors of the ministry of Grace Church are wide open to you. And the elders of this church, the leaders of this church will never look at you and say, well, you're just a dumb kid. We will look at you and say, do you love Jesus? Are you fatter? Yes. I have a passion for ministry. Okay, let's get you going. We'll equip you. Let's try. Let's investigate. Let's invest in you because we want you. The, your church is not a church that you will have one day. It's the one you're in at the moment. And I believe so deeply and what God can do and wants to do and is already doing in you. There is not an elder of this church that will stand in the way of that. The only person in the way would be you. Because if you come in arrogant and condescending, and eh, you're not fatter. You come in faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, responsive. You're one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to the church. Now you can probably tell I get a little fired up about this. You know why? You know what Grace Church is built off of? 17 years ago when, when kind of the, the present presentation of Grace Church started, when the Bath Campus started, Bath has then launched, all these other things. You know, you know who started that? My youth group. I was a youth pastor. Pastor Bob, my mentor, looked at me. I was 28 years old. You want to go do it? All right. And me and a bunch of kids from my youth group. And, and then those kids got a little older. They turned into our college ministry. And everything you're a part of right now, especially here at Medina East, it all comes out of a bunch of kids. We didn't know any better. 
Nobody told us no, and every time we got in a jam, Pastor Bob and the elders would bail us out. But we just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. All Grace Church is is an overgrown youth group. That's it. But I was doing this interview the other day, and the guy said to me, he said, he goes, if you had to start over again, what would you do, Dr. Bogue? I said, I would take my youth group and my college ministry and start over again. He goes, what would you do for finances? I said, you don't need money to build a great church. We've never had it. We've always been poor. It's never been enough. I need, I need, I need passionate people who wake up every day and don't want people to go to hell. That would build a great church because it's the heart of Christ. Listen, young person. You want to have an everyday revolution? Then revolt. I encourage you to revolt. Who says that because you're a teenager you have to have an attitude? That's a cultural norm. Revolt against it. It's dumb. It's no law. It's just the way it is. Who says that when you go to college you have to walk away from Christ for 10 years until you have kids to come back to the church? Who may, who, who, where's that in the Constitution? Who set that up? Revolt against it. That's just the, that's just the culture. Who cares? Who says you have to be safe? Who says that you need a, a middle to upper middle class, mobile North American lifestyle? Who, who, who said that? What rule did that come from? Reject it. Revolt against it. You want to do something great for God? Then let's do it. You're the only one that will throw the brakes on that at Grace Church. Don't anybody look down on you because you're young. Be faithful, available, teachable, enthusiastic, responsive. And you might be shocked what God does through you. The band's going to come up, and as they settle in, let me pray for you for a little bit. And then I, I love these songs that Tommy's picked out. And just the, the first one is really a prayer, and maybe it's one you want to pray. Give God a license. Older generation, give God a license. Younger generation, give God a license. Church, give God a license. See if, uh, if God can't do a fresh thing in you, all right? Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. God, it's hard hard to take our thoughts captive and make them subject to you, Lord, because our our tendency is always to pull away from you. And so, God, with your kindness, draw us in close again and help us to throw off every preconceived idea, every worldly thing, and see your truth and see your calling and see your opportunity. Embrace it with everything in us. God, I don't know how you're working in people's lives today. Maybe it's a relationship with their mom and dad or school. Maybe you're calling them to full-time ministry, calling them to do something nuts, Lord. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, if you would press deep and make that clear, make it inescapable, we would be grateful. Lord, I love my family here. Thank you that we get to serve you, know you, and follow you together. Continue to lead us, Jesus, in your name.